Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hi, friends. I'm really excited today to tell all of you in my Caregiver Nation that I now have listeners in all 50 states and 63 countries, and I just want you all to know how much I really appreciate you listening and enjoying the show. It really makes me uh, proud and humbled that I can give you all resources and information strategies and techniques and whatever you need um, each week in and out. And I hope that uh, you're getting what you want from the show and that you feel like you're getting information that is useful for you and that is something that you can use that is practical. Today, I thought uh, I would talk about the beginning of Alzheimer's because I get so many questions. What is normal aging? What is um, cognitive impairment when it is first beginning? What's going on? Why are we having problems? So I wanted to talk about, you know, what does all that mean? And and if you are a person that is very worried about it because maybe you have a a family issue uh, of other folks in your family having a diagnosis or exhibiting symptoms and things like that, it can be a very, very scary place to be. And, you know, the truth of the matter is that forgetfulness may be sporadic and seem insignificant in the early stages of Alzheimer's, but it becomes more persistent over time. And it may take months or years before you or a close relative or a friend of someone experiencing gradual memory loss begin to notice any pattern of behavior or anything that's worrisome. And a particularly troubling incident or series of minor incidents may trigger an appointment for medical evaluation. That happens a lot. You know, we, we see something going on with our, our family member and we think, well, the first thing that we should do is maybe go to the doctor. And, and sometimes that is true. And although persistent memory impairment is the key feature that you will see with Alzheimer's disease, Subtle changes in one or more of the brain functions, such as language or orientation, perception, and judgment, may also be evident in the early stages. And that's because each one of those is a portion of a lobe of the brain, which I talk about in my classes all the time. So as an example, um, language is, is really focused a lot in your parietal lobe. Uh, orientation, um, how you walk, read, how you uh, recognize objects and things like that happens in the temporal lobe. Perception, vision, perception, those types of things uh, all happen in the back of the brain, which is the occipital lobe. And judgment is 
right there in the front of your brain where your forehead is. And that's where all your your reasoning comes in. That's where you, uh, you know right from wrong. You know that if you have an attention span that is very short, there's a reason for it. Um, maybe, you know, just controlling the filter on your mouth and things like that. And when those things are impaired... Um, you know, the the disease itself may develop in various places in the brain differently for each person. Sometimes it can, you know, spread around the brain in different ways and different patterns. And that is not unusual. It is why the Alzheimer's Association says if you've if you've met one person with Alzheimer's, You've met one person with Alzheimer's. And they what they mean by that is it can spread anywhere in the brain at any time. And it has people, um, you know, exhibiting and showing different symptoms, uh, different characteristics of the disease and things like that. But having said that, there are some common threads that run through the disease process, and uh, a lot of them run in the early stages. What does that mean? So the early stages of Alzheimer's usually involve difficulty remembering recent episodes, such as forgetting an encounter with someone or losing or misplacing something in your house. Um, those instances, you know, they're, they kind of gradually begin to disrupt your life and and your customary lifestyle, the way you're used to doing things. And the person um, with early stage, they, they have often have times where they really cannot learn something new. And not only that, but they may require regular reminders about tasks that they need to keep. Um, such as keeping an appointment, you know, cooking meals, how to read a recipe, paying bills, balancing your checkbook, stuff like that. And at the same time, some people with early stage Alzheimer's appear to think and behave really normally in their day-to-day life, which is confusing to people. And it could sometimes give the appearance that it is deceptive since the progressive damage to the brain sometimes creates a a whole bunch of difficulties for a caregiver to deal with because they one minute see the person having trouble remembering, you know, to make the bed or flush the toilet or leaving the refrigerator open or something like that. And the next minute, they seem like they're fine. So it it gets really confusing sometimes if we're trying to read the signs. We're trying to figure out what a, a person would usually do and what symptoms are showing and how do we discern between the two. Are they having trouble just listening? Uh, do they have a hard time hearing what you're saying? Are they just confused? Are they just not focused? What is it that is manifesting the the symptoms? And how can you tell if it's that person just not paying attention or if it's a situation of 
Maybe there's a disease in progress there. I, I mean, we just really can struggle with those types of things. So the, the type of memory affected by Alzheimer's disease is generally related to recent memory. So a person whose recent memory is impaired typically forgets events that took place within the past hour, the last couple of minutes, <laughs> a day or a week. Um, they can have entire episodes or fragments of their memory that they cannot recall because, as I said a minute ago, new learning doesn't occur when somebody has the early stages. It it honestly is one of the biggest issues um, that we can see as a symptom that you try to give that person information about something that that is pertinent to your day, something that is important to maybe a schedule. We're going to the doctor next week or um, here's a new phone we have to learn all the components of the phone, and and that person just seems to not be able to pull that together, right? And recent memory itself is very different than a remote memory. A remote memory would be something that that is a memory from many years ago, growing up in your neighborhood, uh, the bedroom that you slept in when you were a child, um, interactions with your family, school things, you know, things like that. So when that recent memory and the remote memory are are both sort of not working at times, the one that will hang on the longest is the remote memories, the memories that are deeply ingrained in the back of your mind because before Alzheimer's takes hold, before the beta amyloid or the tau protein begins to take over the memories and the hippocampus, um, which is what takes a short-term memory and turns it into a long-term or remote memory, um, you can you can still access ones that have been in your brain for years and years and years. And it is why people, as they progress with with this disease, will remember things from many, many, many years ago, but can't remember something you said five minutes ago. That really, that really blows the mind of people. You know, why can you not remember what you had for breakfast today? But you can remember the details of your high school prom 60 years ago, right? I mean, even even the ability to perform your personal care every day, your activities of daily living is what we like to call them, um, such as dressing, bathing, usually those things stay intact for a pretty long time because it's something that we've been able to do. It's more issues of balancing that hot and cold in the shower um, than it is washing your body. Once you get into the shower, you're okay because you um, remember how to wash yourself and you know how to use a washcloth and you know what the soap is designed to do. But 
getting in the shower, having to step over a bathtub ledge or just that that dial from, you know, hot, you know, super hot to the left and really cold to the right can be disheveling and, and difficult for people. And why do those things happen? It just... It's just crazy. And doctors have tried over the years, I mean, they have just made numerous attempts to try to categorize the differences of the stages of Alzheimer's. But sometimes sometimes those classifications fall short for really just one simple reason. There's a big variability between, you know, what person A and person B are experiencing. And it's hard to it's hard to come up with stages that is a one size fits all status. I mean it just it, it, it is because you can say, well, maybe somebody will have uh, out of 10 different symptoms that we could list for each stage, they may have five or six of this particular one, but not the others. And how does that translate into I'm in stage three or I'm in stage four? How does that work? Well, let I want to talk today about really kind of the beginning signs. So it, it, there are various scales. The Claudia Allen scale that the Alzheimer's Association used for years and years and years goes from uh, five down to one, five being normal, one being bedridden. There are other scales that do it the opposite direction, and they go one to seven, and um, that's how you you sort of gather the information about the stages, one being you're perfectly normal, and seven being you're bedridden. So what do we... What do we think of when we think of the early stages? Is it actually the beginning of the disease, but the first time that we see it, observe it, and we're starting to see persistent signs? Um, I think that we have noticed, I have noticed, that research studies have shown that the changes in the brain probably occur for years, manifesting as symptoms for about 20 years before a person actually has noticeable impairment that a family member would recognize. I, I imagine that's kind of shocking to some of you. Um, because you think, oh no, it, it just started over a couple of years or, you know, they've just kind of been quirky that way all their, their life. But as family members look back, I think many times they're able to recall unusual incidents that occurred for months and months or years before their person was ever diagnosed. And they may have dismissed these signs as nothing more than, you know, just part of the aging process. And it's only when a pattern starts to emerge over time that, you know, bring really strange incidents you can't explain. And suddenly they start becoming more in perspective of, oh, this is what I'm seeing. This is, this is, um, 
not normal for this person to do. They would never have put their keys in the refrigerator. Things like that. You know, and even Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan didn't reveal that he had Alzheimer's until like November. Uh, I want to say it was like around 1993 or 94. He was, um, he he really kept his memory decline a secret for a long time. And when people were asked if they, you know, saw the signs or if he showed signs during his second term as president, um, you know, and, and in the 90s, he had already been president. He, 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 um, he I, I'm pretty sure that he was done with his presidency somewhere around 1989 or ni- 1990. So by 1994, you know, that's when people really started talking about it. And he came out and said, yes, I actually do have Alzheimer's. And even the White House staff said it was noticeable that there was something wrong, but we fi- they figured it was just the natural uh, aging process. And, you know, Nancy, his wife, probably protected him. And they didn't think that the symptoms were serious enough that he compromised anything uh, in terms of the secrecy or the security of the country. But you know, people noticed, um, you know, some real disconcerting changes that he had uh, long before he ever announced that he had the disease. So what kind of things would have shown themselves? Probably repeating the same thing more than once. That happens all the time. Somebody will repeat something. Maybe they're just a person that doesn't feel like their thoughts have been validated But if they are asking the same questions over and over and over again, then then something is kind of wrong there. Okay, if if that person uh, usually gets a a, a thought back in their head pretty quickly, uh, maybe they ask a question of, oh, who's that singing that song on the radio or what time are we going to, you know, Bill's house today or whatever it is, multiple times, maybe we just kind of dismiss it as, well, he's just not thinking. He's not um, He's not paying attention. That's why he asked. He wasn't listening the first time, right? And so we, we just see that forget, for, forgetfulness overlooked as just kind of part of the human experience. You know, there's a, there's so many minute details that we have to try to remember every single day that the the brain filters some of that stuff out. We don't need to remember everything. We just have to try and remember things that are pertinent and compartmentalize it. I mean, we are in an information overload society. How in the world can we remember everything from every minute of every day? Our phones or computers and it just it just makes absolutely no sense. So the reason why I bring that up is because in the early stages, the person affected may be able to remember certain, you know, trivial details of their day that you would say, well, that's a crazy thing that they remember. 
but at the same time forgetting matters that are really important or vice versa. They might remember um, something that's, that is uh, really important and, and they, can't, they just can't process it. And then the trivial things just come right to them, you know? I mean, it just, it's wild. So in, in the initial stages, we have forgetfulness. We do. It takes a, a, a variety of forms. At first, it's kind of mild, but sometimes erratic. And then sometimes um, we realize that we are forgetting more often than we did in the past. You might forget appointments. You might forget parts of a conversation or an entire conversation with somebody that you were talking with. And even when you get reminded of it, you forget again a few minutes later. And then you forget that you have even forgotten. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh about it. It's not funny. But but they people that have the diagnosis, they will do things like um, they might even repeat the same statement or question over and over that you have just said. I had this happen yesterday. I was on an in-home assessment and a woman was using amazing coping skills and she would repeat things I said and then form them in a question so that she could feel like she was adequately answering what I had brought up. And that's that was really her attempt to compensate for, you know, not not remembering what I just said or maybe working it through in her mind. Um, sometimes she would write down on a piece of paper reminders of kind of what I had said so that she could um, try to answer it after she thought for a few minutes. You know, these are things that people do. They compensate and family members overcompensate in the early days of, well, balancing the checkbook is just hard or uh, she just forgot to um, to put all the entries into the checkbook or, or didn't write down a a um, check that she wrote out or something like that. Uh, it's okay. She forgot about the appointment. She just forgot to write it down. Next time we'll put it on a card before we leave. You know, things like that. It's not a problem in the early stage until they forget it more than once. You know, like forgetting they have food cooking on the stove and burning a meal, um, doing that more than one time. Um, I, I mentioned it a minute ago that learning and remembering new information becomes a real problem. And the person themselves may have good days or bad days or bad moments on any given day. Um, they might remember some things and forget others within the same hour. It's, it's really confusing and difficult to comprehend when... The person is having trouble remembering names, remembering appointments, but then out of the blue, they'll start talking about something that's happening in day-to-day -day life, like politics or something like that. And family members have a tendency sometimes to uh, get really upset about things like that because they they know you're forgetting little things, they're starting to worry about it, but but the inconsistencies 
are really difficult to recognize and can make people angry and suspicious and feeling like they've been manipulated. These are the things that we see in the early stages. It's just sometimes, like I said, minor things. They happen randomly. We can't put our our finger on it. We just can't figure out why it happens one moment and not the next. What's going on? So today, uh, I wanted to just talk about some of these things and help you discern what is normal and what is not. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988, to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, so I'm talking today about the early stages and and what what's going on? How do we notice? And how is it even possible that people say to us, well, these were probably going on 10 to 12, 20 years before you actually started noticing the symptoms? And you say to yourself, how could I have not noticed? How could I have not seen this? Well, sometimes it's not it's not as simple as that, right? I mean, you have to look for the the clues that start to become consistent. When are they getting home from work? Are they talking less about what happened in their day at work? Are they seemingly um not finding their way to destinations that they always used to, which could be a reason why they're coming home late from work. They might pass the street that you live on and drive for a mile or two before they realize it and turn around and come back. Um, You can look for clues, you know, about, um, well, all kinds of things. Are Are they putting things around the house in different places that they used to? Did they... Are they starting to um, not be a cleanly person when they always used to be? Are they not making their bed anymore when they would never have gotten up and, and walked around the house without making their bed first? There are many of us like that, me included. <laughs> um, are they having trouble recognizing family members and pictures? 
Sometimes that happens in the in the more mid stage, but sometimes it can happen in the beginning stages. You're talking about, oh, look at these pictures from when we were on vacation in Mexico, and didn't so and so look happy? And they look at the picture for a long time as though they don't recognize those people, and and the person themselves, they might be able to see that past very clearly. They might be able to see that vacation in their mind, but just cannot figure out who is in those pictures. And when did we go on that trip? What do you mean it was last year? That was last year? Oh, my gosh. So we'll get things like that. And you can you can look for other, other signs that, that try to tell you what's going on. Them asking questions. Um, that they think you should know the answer to. And you say, where in the world did that question come from? I don't know what you're talking about. And then they might repeat themselves, asking the same question that they just asked you a few minutes ago or bringing up a conversation that that you just had. And we say to ourselves, oh, it's just their age. It's just... It's just um, just minor forgetfulness. It's not a big deal. And and I can tell you of the examples I just gave you, family members are usually completely puzzled by the difficulties that they notice when their loved one is having these types of symptoms and 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 all of a sudden, bam, a light goes off. Oh, this is a problem. This could be a symptom of a disease. Oh, my God. And do they act on their feelings that something could be wrong? No. Most of the time, they go into a state of denial. Nobody wants to recognize it. And many, many times, people wait two or three years before looking for a medical explanation of what's going on. They they just want to deny it and, and pray that it's not real and 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 say, gosh, this this just has to be normal aging, right? It has to be. But no, I mean, the, if you see a family member that is struggling to recognize stoplights, they're blowing stoplights left and right, they're changing lanes without looking when they have typically always been a very conscientious driver, if they used to make meals just throwing in a little bit of this and a little bit of that and some spices here and some spices there, and suddenly they're having trouble reading uh, recipes, if they are having trouble reading menus, if they are having trouble with reasoning with something that you are talking about. Um, this a, a, a good example of that could be hygiene. So I see this all the time. Uh, it's generally right at the beginning stages when people start forgetting to take showers or don't think it's important to um, take a shower after they've been working out in the yard and they go to bed and they sleep that way and they get up the next day and they go on about their business. And it's only when somebody tells them that they're having 
you know, odor issues or something like that, then they will take note of it. And often, not very well. I mean, they don't logically think to themselves, well, if somebody's mentioning to me that I smell, I probably should get in the shower. Most of us would be offended if somebody had to tell us <laughs> that we were emitting an odor, right? But this happens all the time. It's one of those, it's one of those first symptom things that we see. And that person is not reasoning well with it. They just say, I'm not going to take a shower. They might seem disoriented about going in and actually taking a shower. And you're like, what the heck's that all about? Why are they, you know, why wouldn't they just say, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. I guess I better go in and take a shower. They, may, they might look at you like they're having trouble understanding what you're saying. And that's where that difficulty with language comes in. They're, they have poor concentration and they're not understanding the process of, oh, this means I should sh go take a shower. They might leap to, um, no, I took one yesterday or I, or I took one today. Their, their judgment is just not working well. That's one of the real keys that tell us something is wrong in the early stages and helps us to discover what's happening. So if some of those things are present in the person that you love and you're noticing it from me talking about this today, it's maybe time to sit down and just say, are you feeling okay? It, tell me if you're having trouble with any of your activities of daily living? Are you having trouble making a meal for yourself? Um, if it's a spouse, you may have to say, it seems like maybe you've had a little bit of difficulty recently with some of the household chores. Is there something I can take off of your plate? Or can you tell me what's going on? Why are you not completing the thing that you're supposed to be doing each week? It's, it's important to have those conversations because it's a very lonely place to be when that person feels like they're struggling and they're afraid to tell anybody because they just don't want to be stamped as deficient. They just don't want to be stamped as less than. And, and a lot of times, if we don't have these conversations, if we're not open to saying, are you struggling in some way? Um, I told you a couple of times last week that we had a doctor appointment this week or we have an appointment to take the car in to get it serviced. And um, you asked me three times about it and then today you've forgotten. I've documented these not to make you feel bad, but because I think we need to discuss it. Those are just easy ways and I'm telling you, if you don't have those conversations, it doesn't get any easier. It works better if you can say, these are things I'm seeing. Because if you don't, what you get is delusional thinking. You get them thinking that you're making this up so that you can take their money or um, you're having an affair or all kinds of things that people... A delusion is a belief that someone has that is not true. And you know it's not true, but they may not know that it's true. 
Um, and a lot of times this is where these things kind of start. Uh, marriages start having problems. People start thinking that uh, the only reason you're complaining about the bills not getting paid and stuff like that is because you want to take it over to hide something. So you'll see personality changes. Um, you'll see possibly changes in sexuality, them not wanting to be intimate or close with you at some point in time. Um, it feels like they're kind of slipping away. They're not wanting to kiss and hug you. They're not wanting to um, make love. Uh, so we see a lot of changes in the sexuality in the early, early discovery times. And part of that is that their coordination is suffering a little bit. And they may feel like um, they start getting involved in um, an act of intimacy and then lose their place in time. What am I doing? And uh, not be able to perform sexually. These are big clues that something's wrong. And maybe you should get it checked out. Um, other things that happen is... Uh, a, a lack of uh, taste buds, um, maybe wanting more sweets, everything's starting to taste really funny, or you can't smell the food any longer. Um, your sense of smell is going away. We've even had issues of, of, of course, with the occipital lobe, um, the the light uh, the, the light diminishing what you can actually see. And that makes it really hard to understand. Um, what's on my plate? What is this orange um, pepper showing up on an orange plate? I did that recently with a class that I had. I showed them how you cannot see uh, cottage cheese on a white plate or an orange pepper on an orange plate, and the class was absolutely blown away when they realized that they couldn't see it either. And it was really just because it was on a Zoom call. It made it that much harder to see. But these are the little diminishing symptoms that you will see with somebody in the early stage. You know, um, I had somebody tell me the, uh, about two weeks ago that they started noticing when their husband, who had always been really great with handyman stuff, was having trouble installing a screen door. And he just stood there with the screen in his hand, looking at the frame, and said, I can't figure out how to do this. And then all of a sudden, he started reflecting on everything that was sort of missing recently. And he started telling his wife... Um, I've seen other things that, that haven't seemed quite right. Um, he said it was getting hard to balance his checkbook and had um, asked his wife to help him figure it out. And all of a sudden, she's putting it together and going, oh, man, this is this is big. I'm not just imagining things. And he thought he was imagining things. He just thought maybe he was a little overtired. So, you know, we can have problems additionally like disorientation, confusion about time and space and and what 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 day is it? What season is it? Those kinds of things can get mixed up and jumbled jumbled up in the brain when early stage starts. The day, the month, the season, all those kinds of things. They can really get lost. Um 
language. The language is all about having difficulty forming a sentence. Um, you've got a thought. It's just not quite coming out. You're trying to put it together, but it doesn't seem like the words are coming. There's a specific word that you wanted to use, but you just can't find it. Um, and so you compensate with another word that maybe isn't quite what you want or as dramatic as you want, but it would help you to compensate when that information's coming really low and slow and you're not processing it. And you end up having long pauses and lapses in your communication because you're just not able to say, all right, this is what I, I'm trying to say. So those are one of the first changes, I think, um, it is, is speech. I think you lose your words. You lose your ability to have an intellectual conversation. You get frustrated when you can't understand what people are talking about. Uh, and it should be an easy conversation for you to have with people that you know. And suddenly you just decide, well, I'm not going to say anything at this point in time because if I say the wrong thing, somebody's going to notice it. So the the issues with speech are pretty large in this whole scenario. Another thing you will see in early stages is a lack of concentration or the ability to pay attention to something that someone has said. And this, this difficulty really can manifest itself in reading and having very little comprehension in what you just read or un, you, the inability to follow a conversation or whatever is written on a, on a page. Um, this, this really happens with menus, like I was saying earlier. It becomes very, very difficult. And if you, if you have a moment where you say, oh, my God, I, uh, you know, the train left the track. What were we talking about? <laughs> we compensate for ourselves hoping that nobody notices that I'm suddenly having trouble paying attention to the spoken word and even the written word and being able to even retain what I have just read. Reading is one of the, the things that goes away pretty quickly. So if you're having trouble reading a book, reading a menu, reading, um, you know, the information at your local airport on what time your flight leaves – this is uh, this is your brain not being able to organize and interpret what you are seeing and processing. For God's sakes, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Because the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to have spatial issues, not being able to judge distance and time or recognizing people or objects and things like that. We talk about the language being something called agnosia. Um, it really just means that that person is not understanding a conversation or, or written information or what someone is talking about. So for just a couple minutes, I want to talk about what, what is normal aging? What's different from everything I've talked about today? 
Well, the bottom line is that if you are forgetting somebody's name, you're forgetting the name of a song, um, you're, you've lost track of a thought and you can't get it, if it comes back to you in 20 minutes or half an hour or even four hours, then you're probably okay. If that happens multiple times a day, I would start being concerned. That's from a memory standpoint. From a cognitive standpoint, if you look at a book and don't recognize what it is, you look at a recipe and don't understand the recipe, you look at your keys and don't know what their function is, these are cognitive issues that are in play now and are a big deal. If those things aren't happening, don't worry. But look for the signs. Be vigilant. Try to help your person with an open, honest conversation and talk about what symptoms you are seeing and then possibly read some information, go back and listen to some of my podcasts, call a neurologist, get an appointment, rule out other things that could be going on and get to the bottom of what is happening. The sooner you start paying attention to this and you are willing to talk about it and have an open conversation, the sooner you will get on the road to a more comprehensive understanding and a more compassionate approach to the way that you deal with the early stages. I promise you, it will behoove you to get to the bottom of it quickly and understand what's going on. Try to get as much information as you can so you know what you're dealing with and really take a good look at what is normal behavior, what is not normal behavior, what is repetitive behavior, what is bizarre, what is cognitive, what is happening that has you worried in the first place. Write notes. If you're the person this is happening to, start logging for yourself in a journal. Maybe these things that are happening and put a date on it when it was starting to happen. Um, and then when you actually are ready to talk to someone about it, you have more information and are able to work through the process a little bit better. And that will help your person that um, is is watching you and paying attention to what's going on and is worried about you. And for you as the caregiver, I want you to also write down some notes. Um, say, hey, this was this was a, a situation and a conversation that we had several times, and it was on this date, and this was the subject matter, and he asked me three times about this issue or seemed really surprised after I'd brought it to him several times. Uh, those kinds of things. Write these down because when you go to the doctor, it will help the doctor to determine what's going on and then know what steps they need to take from maybe diagnostic um, experiences like a, getting an MRI or, um, you know, maybe uh, checking an MRI against one a year ago or having a, a neurobehavioral 
neurobehavioral cognitive exam so that they can see uh, what's working from your brain standpoint and what is happening with your memory, and they can discern what is going on. You don't have to be alone. I know it's scary. It's never fun when you are losing your memory. But people, please, don't put your head in the sand. You can get involved in research studies going around uh, all around the world, and you can get in those and maybe get the actual drug that they're, they're trying to slow the progression of the disease. It doesn't have to be like it used to be where we just would get this disease and nobody cared and it just progressed on its merry way and we just deal with it. Today, you have a chance to be part of the cure and uh, possibly get involved with something that could benefit generations to come. All right. Well, that's our talk for today. I hope that's helped you a little bit with what happens in the very beginning stages. And I will be back next week, as always, with more resources, strategies, and techniques on dementia resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.